And I remember all the men in my family saying that when I grew up, that my father and my brother were going to have to be standing at the door with baseball bats. And I did not understand why. And I was born a peace-loving soul and also witnessed domestic violence and did not want to be the cause of any more violence. And when I asked what this was about, it was just, oh, you'll understand when you grow up. And honestly, I've been working um, eight years now on a memoir because I still won't understand. And I want to. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. Clementina Exposito, writing coach and founder of the Clementina Collective, where no one writes alone, everyone recognizes the power of a well told story, and ugly truths become beautiful in the end. I know Clementina for more than 10 years now and always admire her craft with the writing and one of her parallel missions that is tell beautiful stories about women and about women's stories. So this week, that is the International Woman Day on the March 8th, I decided to invite her for the Mindset Zone podcast to speak about uh, woman mindset development, how we create lenses that we see the world as women and even other people, uh, their own bias and own mindsets around being a woman. So welcome, Clementina. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for having me. I feel more magical already. <laughs> Your podcast voice is just beautiful. Thank you. And we speak on and off during the years about this subject. And I remember in that the day you were helping me writing a piece about for this week for social media. And uh, I was telling my own perspective, my own story um, that and I was commenting that until maybe six, seven, I didn't saw any difference between boys and girls. On uh, For me, uh, I had a, uh, my brother two years older than me. We are just the two of us. And um, I, I was a tomboy, uh, so short hair, uh, always with pants and uh, playing football with him and whatever he will play, I will tag along. And uh, um, my mom and parents well, were no problem about that. It was just easy for them. And only when I start to go out into the world, I realize, oh, people see different, these things of boys and girls. And I'm, I start to see that there was a bias and the I had to do things in a different way that my brother didn't, and I didn't like that at all. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I, I really fight uh, to why, if he can do that, why can I not do I, that? I absolutely remember. 
And I think that was helped me from the beginning in terms of my mindset. I always saw myself first as a person, as an individual that happened to be a girl, a woman uh, after. So, and I think I carry that even today. And I think it's a great way of being in the world, but I absolutely recognize the bias and the, how the system is tilted against opportunities for women. And even, how do you say, I still remember uh, in college when I went to study, I'm originally from Portugal and I went to study abroad in England and I was by myself there and uh, my parents were okay with it. That was the responsibility that I had. I had to keep myself safe. Mm. Uh, and even I still remember once that I was in another city, we, we, we had gone uh, to some training there or some stuff there. And then I was walking alone to the train station and I put my backpack in front of me, pretending that I was pregnant because my thing, okay, if somebody sees a pregnant woman, they are not going to attack the pregnant woman. Hmm. But that kind of thought, a man doesn't have to worry about that. No. They will have other worries, but... That is not the topic of our conversation <laughs> today. So I would love to to know your own perspective. And I know that this is a topic that you have given a lot of thought during the year. So I would love to hear your own upbringing, um, a, a little bit how it mold or develop your own mindset about this. And uh, well, you've been doing a lot of work about this topic. So I thought will be interesting to hear you speak about this. Did it take a deep breath first because as you as as I was listening to you talk there's so many ways right when we when we're called upon to to sort of represent um, a perspective about women's ways of being or things that shaped us early biases those kinds of things you know and already I have voices of dissent in my head right like so so and, it, and I think it's important what you just said parceling out yes you know men men have other worries but that isn't the topic of this podcast and and already I'm thinking wow the well where we're starting from is this idea of you know almost like what you've said is almost like you know at first people were asked to be colorblind right and then they're like no no we can't be colorblind right so there's always a uh uh in a way there's a parallel to what you're you're saying you're, you're almost I was brought up in a house where I was raised to be gender blind. Absolutely. Right? And so, the, of course, I could talk about improvements we could make on that. But but also in terms of when we talk about mindset, I think the most important thing is to always recognize there's another way of looking at things and to sort of turn them all over in our head and, and coming from the kind of background where I came from, which was the opposite. There was a very strict delineation from the outset between boys and girls. Uh, you know, in my family, I've been surrounded by men and boys my whole life and um, and came from this large family. All, most of my, except I had one girl cousin, all the rest of them were boys. And, um, you know, being in, a, in an Italian-American family, the men sort of ruled the roost um, and the women served them um, in ways that, and from a very young age, you know, I wasn't allowed to do what the boys did. Um, I wasn't allowed to speak the way the boys spoke. And I was expected to do chores and stay behind while they went out to play. So on a typical Sunday afternoon, when we all got together, uh, you know, I looked around going, what? 
because, you know, the women did the cooking, they did the cleaning up, they did the setting the table, they did the clearing the table. And you could find the men snoozing on the couch, literally like eat, take a nap, and the boys all outside playing and being able to be wild. As we grew up in the teenage years, you know, uh, you know, you're talking about the 70s. We lived right, right outside New York City. And, you know, my cousins, you know, they I can remember sitting on the stoop watching uh, one of my cousins in particular walk down the street, you know, with this. He looked like he came right out of Saturday Night Fever, you know, powered by his genitals, you know, his his button down shirt sort of like open, his hairy chest out, the gold chains, just like, you know, you could practically hear, you know, by the way, I use my walk, I'm a ladies fan, you know. Um, they were encouraged to go out to be, you know, players, essentially, um, you know, and any evidence of my growing up was sort of prohibited. My father was very strict about what I wore, what I wasn't allowed to wear, that I couldn't wear big earrings, I couldn't wear makeup, couldn't shave your legs, couldn't, you know, it was, it was what could you do? You know, you um, couldn't do anything. And um, I remember one time a girlfriend and I went to the mall and stopped at the Estee Lauder counter and was just playing with makeup. Um, and, you know, on the way home, I tried to wipe most of it off, but failed to do so effectively. And when I got home, woof, there was, you know, hell to pay. <laughs> wow. And this is interesting because you, what you are describing, I think, is quite typical of our generation is the reward, the masculinity, the masculinity is reward. All the when the, in that growing up years, it's like oh, do more of it, mm -hmm. and the uh, and the feminine side is repress. Mm, yes, you have to control it. You have to keep it under wrap. You have to is either you have to put it under. Right, and also you know that creates a certain kind of shame around you know, what's inevitable. And, you know, it, it begins, you know, I definitely had the feeling of like, what's wrong with me? Why do I have to hide? And the contradiction, because then there is also the message, be ladylike. Yes. And that was another problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my personality, uh, you know, I was initially sort of outspoken, precocious, And I would, uh, you know, my family said, which is very interesting, the choice of words, quote, come out uh, with things that were a little uh, on the shocking side. And it was very confusing because they would often be taken off guard and laugh or, you know, couldn't um, hide their like, oh, my gosh, where did she get that? Where did she learn it? And how did she learn to use it so accurately. Uh, but then I was always punished and again, told not to speak, not to say that, to be careful, uh, to be more ladylike. Absolutely. Um, and this fear that I was going to get in trouble and perhaps most disturbing that I would incite violence. And that I, I didn't understand. And I remember all the men in my family saying that when I grew up, that my father and my brother were going to have to be standing at the door with baseball bats. And I did not understand why. And I was born a peace-loving soul and also witnessed domestic violence and did not want to be the cause of any more violence. 
And when I asked what this was about, it was just, oh, you'll understand when you grow up. And honestly, I've been working um, eight years now on a memoir because I still won't understand. And I want to. And it's interesting that the way that you articulate this so beautifully makes me think on the double bind that the situation is of the the different the the different contradictory messages almost there is not a win is like what is that expression you are lost because you don't have a dog but if you have a dog you are also not is there is no no scenario that is okay if you uh, express your femininity is a problem if you don't express your femininity is a problem so there is, it's like, what, what shall I be? What shall I do? Being a woman is a problem. Is, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, right? uh, right? but, but this double bind kind of scenario that you, the way that you are describing really reminds me when I was studying psychology and psychotherapy, when we are studying some of the theories behind schizophrenia, there is a lot of double bind communication patterns there. Mm, fascinating. That you are not safe and there is no way of being safe. You are shamed, you are in trouble, and but you are the man to... Is, is a lot of contradictions in the communication patterns. Mm-hmm. It's tough for a kid growing up in that kind of communication because... Uh, is not clear, uh, is very confusing. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of why I brought out the whole, you know, when we think about the ways that our creativity and our sexuality are create, are, you know, linked, um, you know, it, it makes it even tougher, you know, that to repress at such a, at such formative ages and still, oh my gosh, I mean, I think I was 33 at, my grandmother's 90th birthday party, um, 33 years old. And um, I had chosen a very tasteful uh, pants suit to go to her party, um, sort of Asian inspired um, kimono top that had a plunging neckline. Um, and I remember walking into the restaurant with my, with my husband and from across the restaurant, my father signals to me that, that, you know, something about my blouse and runs, runs over to the bartender and manages to find a safety pin. And, uh, and, and mind you, those of you who can't see me on this podcast, I, I'm, I'm, I, not big breasted. There was certainly nothing. There was no, there was, it was a, a, a low V on a flat neckline. Like there was nothing distasteful about it. And he manages to get a safety pin and come over to me and tell me that I must put the safety pin in my blouse. <laughs> Just like when does it end? And the idea that, you know, you don't know, but even at the age of 33, I didn't know how to dress myself or, you know. And that reminds me of one of the pieces that I you wrote, uh, I think was, I was before the interview looking at, because I remember when I read it was in 2015, do you believe it already, 2015, that you wrote this open letter to Mrs. Wagner uh, with the hashtag, I look like an engineer. 
because this was a campaign uh, that uh, I don't know which company, but the company was doing. And there was this beautiful woman. My team is great. Everyone is smart, creative and hilarious. And uh, she's a platform engineer there. And people didn't believe that was a real person. Yeah, that she they didn't believe that she she could simultaneously be so you know, um, attractive and also be an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, yeah. and that really steers you up because, and I think it's the, again, the contradiction. The, the ridiculousness of it, you know, the way that, you know, we, we don't, we can't, you know, we can't control. And, and then, you know, I think, I think lots of people do do things too. Cause you know, my, I, I, I've struggled with my weight a good part of my life and I, I've, I've sussed out many of the part of my, you know, people ask me now, what do I do to stay fit? Well, part of it, largely, it's been the psychological work that I've done, right? I quickly realized that, you know, I was dangerous from the messaging that I got growing up. And so I also quickly realized that the men in my family were prejudiced toward fat people. So I had a weight problem um, and that, you know, worked sometimes. Uh, It would repel a certain kind of man. Um, but it largely doesn't work, <laughs> um, you know, um, and then, you know, in academia, again, I, I dressed like a librarian. I mean, I mean, a lot of people who know me now know I love bright colors. I love fashion. I love, but I denied myself all of that to try to stay safe. And look professional. I remember when I was teaching in call in university, in a private university in Portugal and in Spain, I will, is the pantsuits that uh, make me look professional and denying the femininity. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe I will have a little heels in my boots, but the rest was... But they were smart heels. They were definitely smart heels, I'm sure. Yeah, and and, uh, (laughs) thick and solid and... uh, is a lot that all these contradictions that uh, uh, putting us in boxes and then we're trying to coming out of boxes. And I think the conversation, at least now we can speak much more about this. And I think the Me Too movement allow a lot of uh, conversations that were already happening um, come out in the open for everybody to hopefully uh, everybody to listen and I will wish that everybody will feel that we can discuss because uh, maybe there was a little bit of sh- uh, I think everybody should be able to be able to speak about this and um, to learn from each other experiences uh, let, let me put in a different way you spoke in the in the beginning that I think is an interesting uh, parallel uh, color blindness, and then uh, the, we have to recognize that okay, the world was not really so uh, color blind. So let's bring speak explicit about it. And with gender, is many way there was so many advances in the 20th century about equality. Absolutely. So there was no men and women are equal until oh, oops, it's not really. And we have to create a place that we can speak about this. We have so much more work to do. And I think, Anna, the, the, the wonderful thing about where we've begun here is just to bring, you know, the attention on the idea that really so much, you know, I, I still I long for the day, you know, when I can still I feel like I'm still not able to fully relax into my femininity. 
And I would, I, I, I look forward to that. I haven't given up that I am on my way there, you know, and I should say relax into the fullest expression, the fullest celebration of my femininity because, you know, so many, so many amazing things um, have also happened to me because I'm a woman, um, you know, birthing my, my two children and mothering them and, and being, and that isn't to say that these constructs of, you know, being a woman and being a man in the world, right? We, we all have a range inside of us. And I think um, we have so much learning to do. Um, and, 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 and sadly, there have been some, oh, gosh, I, I had so much hope um, in the days of the Me Too movement when, they, when it happened. And, and, and since then, I've been really honestly disappointed in some of the things that have happened. Um, and I hope we can get to a place really where people who don't think they need to learn are willing to learn um, because it's just been largely the way society's constructed that I think women to get along, to get what we've wanted to in our careers or even move toward it, we've had to do a lot of empathizing and a lot of understanding of men in ways that they just haven't had to. Um, and I wish I wish they would understand. I, I certainly don't fault them for that. I, I think it takes a very nuanced kind of learning to really understand the difference between, for example, fun flirting and continuing to put a hurting on people. And, you know, unfortunately we have a lot of men who are, who are feeling, you know, who are feeling so many things, so many things and not to generalize. Um, but when I look back on my family and I think about the constructs that I grew up in, yeah, they certainly had a lot to lose with women's liberation and those, but those losses are, are superficial compared to what men have to gain um, when they're in the presence of uh, fully expressed uh, healed women. And, and, and I don't think we can do it without them. Uh, and and the, this is what I think sometimes is missing in the communication out there when we speak about these issues is the nuance it's always easy for us as human beings to think things uh, uh, is the binary kind of um, uh, code, one or zero, um, uh, yes or no, and um, black and white. And we forget all the beautiful nuances that there are in between these things and be able to speak about it in a frank way or in a... Because, and I think uh, I have a friend uh, that um, she's black and she has done some work in the diversity and inclusion world. And she has this thing, no shame, no blame. But let's speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are not here to, uh, there has been enough shame <laughs> in this and enough blame in so many ways. Uh, th that doesn't mean it's not taking responsibility. I, I see that as like there is a nuance for me there. Mm. Uh, uh, no blaming doesn't mean uh, that there is not responsibilities and consequences of act. But for the communication, to open the communication, we have to be able to speak about all the colors of the rainbow, 
all the nuances in between. Mm. And, you know, I mean, the, the tricky part about that is I mean, we could do a whole nother uh, <laughs> interview on that, right? I mean, the shame and the blame, you know, um, there's so much shame inside of most of us, right? And it's buried so deep that, you know, it's hard, it's hard it can be really hard to have these conversations without it coming up in one way or another, or right? Um, and it can be really, really, really hard Especially when, and I, th- I think this happens to a lot of um, quote, you know, and I, I this really bugs me. The good, good, good men, bad men, you know, oh, gosh. Again, the dichotomy, <laughs> right? <laughs> let me let me say, let me go on record saying this. Um, I I love every man who, who's ever hurt me, right? Um, in spite of having been hurt, and. It's not about good men and bad men. And it can be really hard, though, for us. So to use the parlance that's out there, a lot of men who have done considerable work, you know, not to be like their fathers, to be better men, to write, to be allies of women in whatever capacity they they have. They create an identity around being, quote, good. And that can be a liability um, and an impasse to learning because I won't rest until I have taken this work as far as I can in my lifetime. But I have compassion and sympathy because I think it can be really hard when you create an identity around something and then someone says, well, you know, you have more learning to do. Um, Or here's how, you know, you still exist on this spectrum, (laughs) you know. Um, (laughs) And that is the growth mindset, in my opinion, believing that we are always learning and we always can improve because even as women, we have we carry stereotypes and bias <laughs> that uh, work against uh, th- that we are not aware of, and w- if if we are open to learn and oh I didn't realize that, give us an opportunity to do something different. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean absolutely. Um, but I you know and and, and again I, I think it's hard it's hard work. Um, there's certainly lots and lots and lots of responsibility to go around um, and lots of really, really hard work to do. And when we look at, you know, these, the larger message of, of my opus is, you know, that they, these kinds of attitudes and these kinds of things, they really, they start at home and we develop patterns, you know, when, you know, you're a little girl and your father is the patriarchy for all intents and purposes and you love and adore him and you want to please him. Um, you know, you develop patterns um, that are, are hard, very, very hard to break and very heartbreaking um, to break. And not everybody is, is willing to do that work. But until um, we really stand for um, for ourselves um, and for what is real, unconditional love, all the other changes will be very hard, hard pressed to stick. And how can we keep open to learning? I'm aware of the limited time that we have today, and I want to finish with something, something, at least a direction or an attitude or a book, or how can we keep nurturing our learning about these issues and our openness to keep learning? Uh, you know, I mean, gosh, to just not assume 
that we know anything, right? Like, I mean, I think curiosity is the, is the most, is, is the most amazing thing we can keep having, you know, not to assume that we know or that this is an old story, just to keep getting curious about what people need, you know, from us. I think people also don't realize that Me Too was a, was a moment when I, I could, I mean, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I could tell by, you know, because because I'm a writing coach, you know, people trust me with their stories. And there's a way in which you can you can tell a story that's been worked over uh, and worked through from a raw story. And one of the most uh, surprising things that happened to me in those days where, you know, I feel like the Internet was flooded with women's stories was I could tell that some of them were coming out for the first time. You know, in this raw, and it was, it was, it was, it was incredible. It was just incredible um, to me, and and sad, and 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 also, you know, good and whatever. You know, when these things get, when it's time for them to come out, even if they happened so long ago, um, I think it's really important to under for people to understand that there are stages of healing, and there are things that people have to go through. Um, to get to it. And there's, you know, it's it's like any of the stages of grief. I think it was a moment when women started to reckon with the still unmeasurable effect. You know, how do, how do we measure that loss? Uh, men are feeling like women are angry and women are feeling like men are angry and everybody's angry and everybody, you know, and then the other people are crying and when is she going to get over her stuff? It happened a million years ago. And why is it coming out now? And just a little more patience, a little more compassion, a little more realizing that for some of these women, no one has ever witnessed the truth of their story. And that that is so powerful to stand witness and to not judge whatever feeling she's having, whatever grieving she's doing, whatever, uh, you know, whatever toll it's taken. Then, you know, to be and to be patient with each other. It's big work. It's big work. I love this. It's the curiosity, the openness and patience, because this is not something that can be solved. Check the box. Let's go to the next thing. No, no, it's much more complex. No, it's got to be sat with, you know, and it's got to be, it's got to be sat with. And, you know, one of the hardest things to do, I think, is to admit, you know, when we want to be one way and we have a self-perception of ourselves as, and to, to admit, yeah, you know what, I have probably unwittingly contributed. And instead of condemning myself or being so defensive that I can't look, let me let me look and let me keep looking and let me leave no stone unturned um, or no avenue to explore where I can examine, for example, you know, my sense of entitlement or the ways that I have assumed. Yeah. And and take it. And and that is the personal development is taking the opportunity to keep learning, taking the opportunity to keep evolving. Yeah. And to say, this doesn't make me, you know, I think the quick, go to is, oh my gosh, this must make me a bad person. And actually, no, this medicine will make you a a, a, a better per. you know, if we must use good and bad, it will make you a good person. It will make you a better person. Yeah. yeah. And this is, we are, it's not that we finish developing. <laughs> we can, we, this is a journey. And uh, if, uh, and that is one of the things that I love about the, the work of Carol Dweck about the fix and the, and the growth mindset, because give us a language, a binary language that allow us at least to open 
okay. And what I love about is that we have so many mindsets about so many different things, but the recognition, oh, maybe around this, I have a fixed mindset. I thought that I have done all the work and that was complete. And if I realize, no, no, maybe there are so much more that I can learn and we move that to the growth mindset, that shift allow us to be more open, allow us to be more curious, and I think allow us to speak about these things in a more open way. Yeah, and to really listen to each other. And see each other. So I, we absolutely go on and on, but um, time does not allow at this <laughs> moment. So hopefully this was like a seed that we plant and uh, hopefully we'll allow people to be more open, be more curious and listen. And be more patient. Yes. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. Thank you.